Hello, my name is Ben Moss and welcome to the Aviva podcast and this special series taking a look at data science. Aviva's data science practice, Quantum, has recently formed a partnership with the University of Cambridge and is the founding member of a new data science research institute. It's going to spend the next four years taking part in some cutting edge research on everything from predicting diseases to how to help people move out of poverty. Now I'm right now in a building called the Old Schools, which is the administration hub of the university. Now what I'm here to talk about today is about how we judge people. We do it every single day. We make assumptions about people based on anything from their accent, the clothes they wear, the car they drive, or where they live. We can't help it, it's actually programmed in us. I was recently reading an article in Psychology Today by Marwa Azza, PhD. And in that, she says, it is impossible to meet someone and make zero internal judgments about them. I've put the link to the full article in the show notes. But based on that, it must be great that thanks to technology, many decisions, such as whether to offer someone a bank loan or how much they should pay in life insurance, are now actually made by machines. Because computers aren't biased, are, are they? Well, that's why I've come to Cambridge University today, and I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Michelle Lee, who's starting her PhD here at Cambridge very soon, and Orlando Machado, Chief Data Scientist from Aviva. Michelle, thank you very much for joining us on the Aviva podcast. Great to have you here. And do computers judge us at the moment? Yes, they do. So algorithms are currently being used uh, to make predictions about uh, a lot of things, um, across domain areas, so it will decide which loans are most likely to default. It will uh, try to tell us uh, who we should hire, who we should recruit, um, and it would also uh, try to tell us like what what price each person would be willing to pay. And these are all judgments, and at the moment that can be made by humans or algorithms. Um, the difference, though, between the algorithm and the human is that uh, the algorithm can learn. Uh, patterns in much larger data set and much greater volume of information that humans can can process. And because of that, some of the judgments can seem uh, difficult to understand and a bit non-transparent. And that is, I think, the main challenge that people have when uh, when looking at algorithmic judgments. Just so I can be clear that I'm understanding what you're saying, because um, computers or algorithms have learned from such a wide range of data it's actually hard when a human is analysing why it's making those decisions to actually define the full answer of why it's making certain decisions because it's taken in such a number, of, large number of data points. Yes, exactly. And those those patterns that uh, it's detecting that are correlated to what they're trying to predict, so risk of default, for example, are a correlation of different variables in, in a myriad of different ways. And sometimes those patterns are associated with not only the risk of default or whatever the machine's trying to predict, but also with who we are. And that includes our race, our gender, um, our, our identity. And that is, the, that is the main challenge that the machine is then able to triangulate our information about who we are and use that in, in a biased way to make decisions. And so what's your research going to try and do? Right. So at the moment, there are tons of researchers out there trying to address this risk of unfair bias. Um, and what they're doing right now is introducing 
a bunch of different definitions of fairness. And the idea is that if we can mathematically formalize it, then we can remove that kind of bias and, and correct it and fix it. Um, the challenge that I have is that uh, fairness isn't really a binary concept. Hmm. It's not an absolute concept. So we shouldn't be looking at looking at fixing fairness or fixing the bias. We should be looking at what are some of the trade-offs that we're making when we're choosing one algorithm over an alternative. A machine learning algorithm can be both fairer and more accurate than a human decision-making process or like a deterministic process. Um, so what is the best algorithm? What is the best methodology to make these decisions for that decision maker? And so my research is introducing a, the trade-off analysis of the competing objectives to make it much more clear to the decision maker what's at stake. And Orlando Machado from Aviva, uh, I, I think I can already see it coming, but I c tell, us, uh, tell us why um, Michelle's research is so interesting to a company like Aviva. Well, I think the first thing that it's important to know that we've been using algorithms to make decisions for a very long time. So for, for many decades, we've been using statistical models to do things like understand and predict risk and set our prices. So if you try to buy motor insurance or home insurance, we typically have a price that's determined by an algorithm. But the reason we know that those prices are fair is that we have a lot of human decision processes that help us understand firstly what kind of data are we using to train our algorithms and we have very limited decisions that these algorithms can make so setting people's prices within safeguards that are again set by humans so we can be very confident that our algorithms are fair within the framework that we've defined right now but if we look to the future if we want to extend some of the decisions that we're making and extend some of the power of algorithms we have to be extremely cautious because we're talking about very, very sensitive, very important outcomes for our customers. And we want to make sure that they fulfill the ethical requirements that we have as a business. We want to make sure that they're fair and we, and we want to make sure that we can, we can talk about them openly. So before we do that, we need to understand how we can define fairness and how we can essentially build fairness into the algorithms rather than have safeguards around our algorithms set by humans that ensure they're fair, which is what we have, which is what we do right now. And Michelle, I think you touched on it earlier, but you've you've already done some work in this area, haven't you? Around is, was it around uh, bank loans or how people's access to loans and that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, um, on mortgage lending. So tell us a bit about that. What did you find? What were you doing? What did you find? Yeah, so I was using the public data set um, for U.S. mortgage loans, uh, which are publicly available and. Uh, this was for my master's at Oxford Inter Institute in social data science. And my goal was to uh, critique the existing approaches to fairness that define fairness as a binary and absolute concept and introduce a new methodology that looks at the trade-off between financial inclusion and uh, impact on denial rate of minority groups. And what uh, what my main point that I was trying to get across was that uh, a trade-off driven analysis gives us more information on the values that we're embedding into the algorithm and to the system than the binary definitions of fairness can. So if you get a list of fairness tests that say equal opportunity, equal odds, um, positive predictive parity, etc. These are all types of fairness definitions and you get a report that says which ones you passed and which ones you failed. It's not very informative to the decision maker on what type of fairness they should be espousing. But if you say to them, 
Um, here are some of the main considerations and trade-offs between moving from algorithm A to algorithm B, um, then that makes it much more real in terms of what they're giving up in exchange for something else. Um, and that was that was the point of my research. Is there a reason why you decided this is an area you wanted to look into? Yeah, so I work for a charity called DataKind, which is a pro bono data science charity. And one of my first projects with them was uh, building an algorithm to predict which criminals are most likely to become frequent offenders so that we can wow. better target rehabilitation services. So um, another point there is that it's always about like what what outcome you're looking for. And for us, it was to um, allocate better allocate limited resources for these rehabilitation services to the people who are most at risk of reoffending. Um, and through that project, which was about six months long, um, we had a lot of debates internally on what impact uh, existing racial biases, gender biases may have um, on our algorithm, especially in, in terms of uh, minor, high minority neighborhoods. Um, and that's where I first got really interested in it. Um, and from that, I've been working for the past few years in, in uh, advisory services to help some of our clients like address the new risks introduced by AI in their business. So um, it's been a part of my career and I haven't found a suitable solution in, ac in academic literature so far on how to tackle this issue. Um, so I decided to do a PhD and kind of delve deeper into it. Amazing. Um, Orlando, from your point of view, what Michelle's been explaining there and you've also have as well is that uh, algorithms can take data from wide uh, wide areas, analyze all that information and come up with an answer. But the thing we need to work on is how it analyzes that and maybe allocates fairness across the board. But where does the human touch come in? Particularly, let's take an example with Aviva. I mean, for instance, um, on certain decisions, yes, an algorithm can do it, but can a machine pick up on tone of voice, for instance, to, because that that could be part of an, uh, how we how Aviva would treat a customer or, or something like that. So do you always need a human interaction in, in, in these areas? I think we'll always need a human or we'll need a group of humans to decide our ethical stance and our stance towards certain fairness issues. And I think we're not trying to get away from that. We're trying to actually facilitate that because the challenge we have at the moment is that fairness is not well-defined as, as a mathematical concept or when it is well-defined, there's a competing concept and it's very difficult to reconcile the two. But ultimately what we want to get to is a really simple, clear way of being able to document and audit our approach to fairness and that will be ratified by humans. This will be something that we will take to our data ethics forum internally, and it will be something that we'll look to our board to, to ratify. So we're not trying to take humans out of the loop in terms of defining our ethical stance and our fairness stance. We're trying to make it easier to audit and document what that stance is. And Michelle, let's say your work is successful your, or, and your work in the future is really, really successful. Can we get to the point where machines will make the perfect decision? Um, so there, I don't think there is really such thing as a perfect decision because even if you ask, there, there has been a lot of research where they've asked humans what is what is the fair decision in this scenario or that scenario, and in in each of those cases, there was considerable disagreement even among people um, on what it means to make a fair decision. So, uh, 
that is, I think, as Orlando was talking about it, it, that is exactly the direction that my research is aiming to go in, where instead of trying to formalize in one mathematical formula everything that it means to be fair, um, try to reveal some of the key considerations and trade-offs in each algorithm so that a human can then make that judgment call of what is a fair decision in each case. I should have checked this before we started recording, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I don't know if either of you follow football or um, soccer. I don't know what <laughs> you may call it yourself. But they've recently brought in VAR, which is sort of a video referee. And all I hear when you're talking about how, do you, how machines interpret fairness, VAR was supposed to be brought in so it would just be black and white decisions on penalties and goals and things like that. Whereas actually, every episode of Match of the Day for the past three weeks has been people arguing about whether the technology is any good because when they show it and they slow it down, they replay it over and over again. One person, let's say Alan Shearer, will say that's definitely a penalty. And then the person next to him, Gary Lineker, will say that's absolutely not a penalty. So even in that very basic scenario of some video replays, uh, the human side of it still comes in, in that there's still debate over whether something is fair or not. And, and this goes to show, if that's just on a video replay of a football match, yeah. how confusing or difficult it must be to do this across a wide data set where you're trying to allocate whether someone should get a bank loan or car insurance or life insurance. Yeah, exactly. Sorry for my very basic <laughs> example, but I'm trying to bring it back to my level. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think that's exactly the type of work that I'm trying to do to create that kind of portal for the human decision makers to understand what's at stake um, and to kind of, I guess, unbox the, the black box to try to really understand um, what what impact each algorithm will have on the customers and on, on, this, on society. And I think that algorithms and their, their risk of unfairness is actually an opportunity because algorithms, unlike human decision makers with their cognitive biases and their perspectives, are inherently auditable. And if we can quantify and define what objectives we're trying to achieve, we can measure how well each algorithm is, is performing against those objectives. And in that way, it's really an opportunity for us as a society and for the regulators and for for the industry to really make make the step in defining what we mean by making a fair dis decision and uh, designing a fair system. That's, I think just, so just to kind it. of elaborate a little bit, I think it can be easy to assume that if something is done by a machine, then it's 100% right. It's a very black and white situation. And I think what Michelle's research is looking to highlight is the fact that machines are susceptible to all of the different uncertainties and contextual factors that affect human decision-making. But with a machine, you need some way of trying to codify it. You need some way of trying to set it out as, as rules or processes, and you ultimately need some way of actually writing it down in as lines of code. And so what we should be doing here is actually highlighting the fact that there are uncertainties in all the decisions that we make and using it as an opportunity to set out our principles under which we, we find a way through those uncertainties because that's essentially what we're trying to do with every decision that we're making. And Orlando, just to stick with you, you're the chief data scientist for Aviva. but when you hear about work that Michelle is going to undertake, your eyes must light up, mustn't it? Trying to make algorithms fairer, I mean, that, that's a key part of the business you work in. Yeah, ultimately, it's what, it's what we're trying to do. And I think um, one, of the interesting, um, one of the interesting aspects for me is that it shows that really algorithms are not this mysterious process. It's not something that you put data into the top of a hopper and try and get an answer out at the other end. It's essentially 
um, you know, what we're trying to do with our algorithms is try to make better decisions, and we're trying to make better decisions for more people. But these decisions are the same as we would make in any other context, and they have all the same considerations and the same trade-offs, the same ethical aspects and the same contextual aspects. And Michelle's research is, is aiming to help us understand and write down those principles so that we can apply them to more and more people and help, help more and more of our customers. And uh, Michelle, just back to you, if you don't mind me asking, what's your background? I was originally born in South Korea. I did my undergraduate degree at Stanford. Um, I studied political science and symbolic systems. So my concentration was in decision-making and rationality. How do humans make decisions differently than machines do? So it was a combination of computer science, statistics, neuroscience, behavioral biology, et cetera. Um, only exists at Stanford and <laughs> um, really only possible in the US where they have such interdisciplinary programs. Um, and then I worked in strategy consulting for a year, and then I've been working in risk analytics consulting, where I focused on building AI products for financial services companies. Um, and then more recently, I switched to advising on new risks introduced by AI to financial services companies. Um, and then I decided to pursue a one-year master's at Oxford in social data science to see whether or not... Uh, this route is right for me, um, like a trial period before I commit to three additional years of PhD. And I think it it really came out of, in my client work, I've, I found uh, that there is such a knowledge gap in how uh, to ensure that algorithms are safe to scale and making those ethical decisions and embodying the values of the company. And because there was such a gap um, I figured the only only way I could really tackle it is is in academia, like with a lot of like minded researchers. So just to clarify, you've been to Stanford University, Oxford University, and now Cambridge <laughs> University. Yeah. Well, you know, I felt inadequate in my life, but this is up there with the most amount of times I went to the University of Central Lancashire many years ago. So that's uh, I can't compete with you there. Uh, but Michelle Lee from Cambridge University, thank you so much for your time on the Aviva podcast today, along with Orlando Machado from Aviva as well. Great to have you both. Thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to know more about Quantum, that's Aviva's data science practice, all about the work Michelle Lee is going to undertake, do check out the show notes. Thank you.